Right. Well, good morning. Wow, look at that. That's great. I'm so glad to be here, man. That's awesome. We'll, we, we may do that a couple more times just to, to, so I can feel excited and uh, welcomed. Um, and it was so good to walk in the back there as, y'all, as we were finishing that song uh, and be able to join with you just in, in prayer and, and singing, but to hear your voices lifted and, and celebrating God's goodness this morning. I'm so thankful for that and for uh, the fellowship here at, at Two Rivers and uh, the opportunity to be with you this morning. As we start, I, wanna op- I want you to uh, take out your Bibles or your phones, whatever you're going to use, uh, open up to First John chapter, end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3. I know the past couple of weeks, that's what you guys have been working through, and I've tuned in and watched a little bit about uh, what Pastor Daniel spoke last week and Pastor Scott uh, the week before, and so uh, I've kind of tracked with you with that, and we want to kind of continue in that over the next uh, little bit as we open up God's Word together here. So chapter, end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, and as you're getting there, let me ask you this question, who are you? Right, that's probably not the question that the guest asked the folks from the beginning, right? But who are you, right? Who, who are you? What does it matter? How do you know who you are? And what, is it, what does it change if you do know who you are? As we work through this passage this morning, I, I think you would agree that, that the question of who you are, who am I, is one that, that a lot of people ask, right? Maybe you've asked it before. Maybe you, you've been in a spot where, where you've asked, you know, who, who am I? Where, where do I fit in? Right? Maybe, maybe the question is, as you're looking at a direction in life, you're asking, who am I? What, what, what is it that I'm going to do with my life? Who am I? Maybe you looked at it and said, after a decision that you made that, you, that you're not very proud of, and you, you look at yourself kind of introspectively and say, who am I? How did I get here? As we work through this passage this morning, I believe very, very strongly that that John in his writing of this letter is going to answer the question of who we are. And and it's one of the most encouraging and most exciting answers that any of us could find. But as, you, as we ask that question of ourselves, I'm sure that it, it is proper for you guys to ask the question of who I am. And, and maybe you heard a little bit, right, that uh, Pastor Scott may have introduced or Pastor Aaron may have introduced a little bit of, of who I am, right? But my name is T, right? My parents didn't hate me. They didn't give me the letter as my name. It's so that I can remember it. Um, <laughs> y'all are awesome. Um, so my name is Thomas. It's no secret, but I just go by T. It happened somewhere in high school, and I just went with it, right? It was too, too easy just to go with it. So T is my name. Uh, but there's more to, who, more to T. I'm, I'm sure, you know, like probably not. I can see through your head. It's not very thick. But there, there is more. And, and I, I think we have a picture of my family. I want to introduce you. This is a lot of who I am is based on these people right here. Uh, the, the ogre, forget the, the, the green-shirted dude. That's but the, the beautiful lady right there, that's my wife, Rebecca. We've been married for 13 years, uh, and, and she is by far the best part of who I am. Right? I, I'm incredibly blessed. Uh, scripture is right. A man, a man is blessed who finds a good wife, and I have been blessed. Uh, every day, I, I, I wonder when she's going to wake up and be like, how did I end up with you? 
right? Like the, it looks like, yeah, so that's, that's part of it. Uh, and then right here in the white shirt, uh, that's, my, that's my oldest son. His name is Cooper. He's 11 years old. And uh, Cooper's an incredibly cool dude. Uh, he's, um, he has a syndrome called SOTOS, which carries with it some developmental disorders. And uh, he's on the autism spectrum. He doesn't have autism, but he's on the autism spectrum because of SOTOS. And, uh, but he is wise in ways that just amaze me on a, on a daily basis. And, and when he was five months old, they told us that he would never walk never talk and he would die early Uh, and he's 11 years old and he talks a lot Um, and uh, and this week uh, actually uh, Wednesday you can be praying for him he he would certainly ask you to Uh, he's having surgery on his uh, right foot he he had a pretty major surgery on his left foot to to correct some stuff and Thursday he's having the second of those surgeries and uh, it's eight weeks of us serving him which he loves and you can see through me what I like about it. The, um, and then uh, we need to move on. Quinn is in the blue. Uh, he is an inc- he's a stud. He's just a, a really cool kid. Um, but he suffers from a condition called uh, an exact copy of my DNA. Uh, mentally, emotionally, physically. It, he has a hard road ahead of him. Um, I know because I'm walking it. And then lastly... Uh, but honestly, he is, he's an incredibly passionate and compassionate kid, uh, and, and God's going to use him to do some incredible things. I'm quite positive of it. Uh, and then Kate, my, my little girl, she's six, and she's tenacious and caring and hilarious. Like, she's really funny. Like, when she tells jokes, it's not like, ha-ha, kid's joke. It's like, that was really funny. Love her, and, and, and because she's the baby and she's a girl, like I tell the, the boys, I'm sorry. It's not that I love her more, it's that I love her more. It's just this the, way, it's the way this all works out. So I'm a husband, I'm a father, I pastor a small church in Baton Rouge, I get to, to do that in the suburbs of Baton Rouge. I, I went to LSU, graduated from LSU, my wife, uh, she, you don't have to pull that back up, uh, she, um, she's a, uh, an Arkansas Razorback, and I say that I rescued a hog, right? You don't get to say that about your wife very often, but I do, I do, I, I get to say that, and then she hits me. Um, but... I, so all of those things are, are, are little bits and pieces. As important as my family is and who I am, you can all, you can all affirm that there's, there's got to be something more to who we are. Something that's more foundational. Something that's, that's below just all of these things, right? Because, because I could lose my kids. I could lose my wife. Right? So who am I underneath all of those things? And again, I think John, as he answers this question here, what he's going to say to us is that we are the children of God. That there's no more important identity than any of us have than being the children of God, being a child of God. And it matters. And and, and we're going to look at it in three ways. The first, that it's it's the result of a posture we take that changes our position and gives us a new pursuit. So this is who you are. It's the result of a posture our position, and gives us a new pursuit. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand. We're going to just read uh, a portion of uh, this passage together. Chapter, end of chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. It says, "Now, Now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know... This as well, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. 
And then in chapter 3, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God or God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who is, has this hope in him pers- excuse me, purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for just the atmosphere, the, 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 the joy that's in this room this morning. Father, from the songs that we've sung that are, that are lifting up your name and celebrating your greatness. Even as we've sang that, that we're no longer slaves, Father, that we are the, chi- the children of God, that I am a child of God and my identity has changed. I pray that as we open up this passage and look at what you, are, you have for us, that we would just continue to worship you through learning, hearing from your word. And that, God, we would leave here changed as a result of an encounter with you. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So it begins, or it's the beginning of who we are as a result of our posture. And so when you think about posture, kind of what would you think about, most of us think about, about sitting or standing, right? And when I was a kid, I went to, um, I went to church with a, a buddy of mine. And being from Louisiana, it's a very Catholic area, like just the South Louisiana is very, very Catholic. And so my buddy was Catholic and we went and, and it was, it was very interesting. We sat and we stood and we kneeled and we did, I was like, this is, this is like calisthenics, man. What are you doing? Right? We do that in the Baptist church a little bit too. But, but when we talk about posture, sometimes we think about sitting or standing. But what John says is the posture that we take is to remain, to rest or abide. Now, I'm one of those guys that you know, I like to have lots of stuff happening. Right? I, you know, the whole the plate spinner guy, right? I, I think that dude's awesome. Right? I've never gotten to that point, but I enjoy just having lots of things to do. I don't want to get off work and go home. I want to get off work and go somewhere. I want to do things. I want to be going places and have something to do this weekend to look forward to and talk about what we did last weekend. And while we're doing what we're doing here, I want to talk about what we're doing next. I like to have things happening. But there are seasons, and some of you are like, that's exhausting. Like, yes, I get it. My wife says that most of the time. But but there are seasons after, after time where it's just been really busy that I just look forward to that downtime. Just some time to rest. Right? Amen? You know, you know what I'm talking about? When you just get a chance to just sit and relax. And, and specifically what I, I look at is, is the time in the fall when, when there's nothing on a calendar on a Saturday morning or sat, nothing on a calendar for a Saturday when, when it's maybe chilly outside just a little bit, like this is winter for us in Baton Rouge, when it's like this, and it's maybe sprinkling so I can get out of mowing the yard, right? And I can just sit in my chair and pray that Alabama loses. <laughs> just rest. Right, anybody? The Alabama fans just turned it off, they closed it. Get over it. But you know, there's just that spine, just sit and just rest. And with three kids, that's really hard. But, I, you know, just that time just to, just to do nothing. And if you look at, at verse 28 of chapter 2, I think, I think what John is saying here is that there's a, a posture of resting, of abiding. 
You just look at verse 28, it says, so now little children, he's, he's switching thoughts from what he's been saying thus far in the letter, what he's been writing to them. He, and he's, he kind of gives in this wise old sta- sage, you can hear his tenderness in his voice, kind of calling them to, hey, listen, all of what I've said, so now, because of all of that, listen to what I'm saying now, what's next? And we talked about it last week in light of all of, in the past couple of weeks, in light of all of what we've said, as Pastor Scott talked, that, that Jesus is the light and we live in the light. Pastor Daniel last week, that there's, there's deceptive words and the deceptive uh, talk and the, the passions and the promises, the deceitfulness of, of the world that's around us. So in light of all of those things, so now, dear children, listen, draw in, remain in him. So what does he mean by remain or abide? The reality, in some translations, he uses abide. But the, what he's talking about is this posture of rest. That Hey, listen, when you trusted Christ for salvation, you came to a point in your life where you realized that you were a sinner and in need of a Savior. You realized that you had nothing that you could offer, nothing that you could do to rescue you from where you are. And, and you needed Christ and His work on the cross. And Christ's work on the cross was sufficient to save you. Don't say, hey, listen, that place that you started, stay there. That Jesus that was sufficient to save you when you trusted him for salvation is sufficient to keep you right now. So abide in that relationship. Don't go anywhere else. There's nothing else that you need outside of him. He's calling them back to that reminder. First John chapter two, verse two. That he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but for the sins of the world, that Jesus' work on the cross, what you put your faith in, was good enough. It was more than enough to rescue you, and it's more than enough to keep you and sustain you. John's talking to people that are a lot like us, who, who because, because of the world that they live in and the, and the places that, that they were, that maybe they weren't seeing it the same way that we see it, but, but they were just inundated with different philosophies and ideas. And again, Pastor Daniel talked about this last week, that, that for us, it's on TV, it's in the commercials that we see, it's in the billboards, it's on the radio, it's in all of these places that, that you can have life. Yeah, it's good that you know Jesus, but real life is Jesus plus this. You just add these friends. You just take this drink and stand in this place and all of a sudden all these people hang out with you and that's where real life is found. Right? It's, they're not selling beer. They're selling friendship. And deceitful lies. These things that they keep telling us. The lies and, and deception of the world. But it's, it's just as bad inside the church, right? It's the gospel and your mission trip. That you, the gospel was good enough, but you got to have these mission trips in order to really have a relationship with Christ. Your church attendance, gospel and your church attendance, gospel and your devotional, gospel and whatever it is. We have these things that we, we put in that space. And what John is writing to these individuals, to this church and to us is the same. That it's not the gospel and, it's the gospel only. Jesus says the same thing as, as John writes in his gospel. He speaks to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says this, Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because he can do nothing without me. This happens to be just one of those, the, those 
one of the most influential or important passages in, in my personal walk with Christ. Because by nature, I'm that, that dude that likes to do a lot of things and I've found my righteousness in a lot of things that I've done. But this passage always points me back to my hope and my, my joy and being able to do anything is only found in resting and abiding in Jesus Christ and Him alone. For apart from Him, we can do nothing. What a terrifying reality that all of this time that we've spent, all of these things that we do, all of the stuff that we accumulate, it matters to nothing if we're not abiding in the vine, if we're not resting in Him. And it gives us this confidence as we, as we, as we remain in Him. It, it points to a confidence at the end of verse 28. It says, so then when He appears, we might have confidence and not be ashamed before His coming. Listen, the truth, what great joy we find in Scripture multiple times in this passage alone or in this group of verses here alone, that Jesus is coming back. Amen? He's coming back. What I love about the old hymns that we sing and some of the, the old spirituals that, 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 that we don't sing very often is that all of them seem to, to point towards a day when Jesus comes back. We need to listen to that. We need to be excited about Christ coming back. But the only confidence we have when Christ comes back is that we've abided in Him. Because when He comes back, He's not going to say, yeah, but did you do that Beth Moore Bible study? Because it's pretty important. It's the one that I needed you to do. Did you rest in Him? Did you trust Him and stay in that relationship, abiding in Him? Because apart from that, we have no confidence when He returns. If we're adding, if we're bringing our baggage of things that we've also done, there's no confidence in those things. And it's who we are begins with a posture that we trust Christ for salvation and we rest and abide and remain in that relationship. The second is a position that we have. It changes our position. For those of you who have trusted in Christ for salvation, this is true of you. For those of you who may have not made that decision to follow Christ, maybe you've gone to church all your life or this is the first time and you're just you're like, who is this wild this guy who's talking real fast? He's bald. But I won't be here next Sunday. Pastor Scott's awesome. Come back and listen to him, right? But get this right. Trust Christ for salvation. When you trust Christ for salvation, you've been given a new position. That's what he says here in verse 3. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. And so he says, we are God's children. And we're going to get to a little bit of what that means for us in just a second. But really, first, I want to focus on what seems to be an emphasis for John. What he seems to be kind of making sure we get before we move on. How many of y'all, maybe this kind of gives an insight as to just how warped my mind is. But how many of y'all ever seen some of those videos when people are like looking at their iPhones and they like fall off things? Right? Have you seen some of those? Or like they run into stuff? They're hilarious. It's, it's incredible. And so I, like, I think that that's funny. But there, what's sad is that there's also pictures and videos of people standing in front of some of the wonders of the world, right, with an iPhone in front of their face. Like, like you realize that, like, whatever the Titans just did, <laughs> they're not playing yet. I'm... <laughs> it's not nearly as cool as what you're standing in front of. Like, whoever just tweeted that picture of their dog... 
Instagrammed it, whatever, for the hundredth time, not nearly as cool as what you're standing in front of. And that seems to be the spot that John is saying, hey, listen, wake up. Tune in, listen, listen to what he's saying, listen to what's happening here. See this great love that the Father has given you. Some passages or some translations use the word behold. And just, just this language of, hey, let this capture your attention. Don't let this get past you quickly. What we're looking at, what, what's in front of us is the most important thing that you could look at at this moment. Let it overwhelm you. Let it pierce you. Let it get to the heart of who you, Let it move into you and overwhelm you. Study it. The great love that the Father has lavished on us. Scripture says, excuse me, it's exciting. And you see as he reads it, it just seems like it's, it's just brewing with excitement. As he even says, this is who you're, you're the child of God, you're a child of God, and uh, other translations will say, that is who you are. As if to be like, celebration, that's who you are. Awesome. Praise the Lord. You're a child of God. It's so exciting for, for John and it's so exciting for us because that is not who we were. This love is so great. And it's so exciting for us and it was so exciting for John because that is not who we were. Because scripture is clear throughout, throughout Old Testament and New that we were enemies, rebels. If you're like, T, that's not okay. Listen, you can be mad at me for saying it, but the Bible says it. Rebels. We were far away from God, that we were worthless. It's not the most encouraging moment, right? But... The love that God lavished, the love that God gives us, changed us. He makes enemies, friends, and rebels, saints. He makes the worthless of the greatest value. He makes orphans his children. Those who have nothing to offer, nothing that would attract him to us, he makes us his children. Listen, maybe you don't know that love. Maybe you've not experienced love like that. Maybe your experience of love has been, has been painful, that you have to earn love. Maybe as a kid, you, you've experienced love from your family or your parents when you did the right things. Maybe you've been hurt by love. Somebody that you loved left you and you have a, a, a dark spot. So whatever it is, maybe your experience has not been this. But God's love is not like what you've experienced. The psalmist celebrates it, right? That it's steadfast, abounding, reaching to the heavens, enduring forever. That's what God's love is like. And God's love is different in that, that it, didn't, it didn't wait back for us to respond to it. No, it pursued us. It took the initiative to love us first and to love us best even when we were unlovable. When there was nothing that we could offer for God to love us. One author points this out that, uh, of talking about the Old Testament. And this was the same principle that God acted towards the Israelites in the Old Testament. And he points to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And he says this, that when the Lord, excuse me, the Lord did not set his affections on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, but because the Lord loved you. 
And listen, again, your experience may be what it is, as distorted as it might be. He doesn't love you because you've gotten all the right answers. He doesn't love you because you have a lot of stuff to do or a little stuff to do. He doesn't love you because you're successful or not successful. He loves you because he is love. Sometimes we need to be, we need to sit and, and really rest in that. You're, like, you're talking about love for a long time. Yes, because it's that important. We need to be astounded by this. We need to be captured by this because that love changed our position. It made us children. And that is what you are. And this is God's word about you. That if you've trusted Christ for salvation, the love that he poured out on you has made you his child. And that is who you are. What God says about you, church, is the most important thing that anybody could say about you. We're talking about the same God who spoke and out of nothing came planets that spun and stars filled the sky and animals filled the earth and all that we can see and taste and touch and hear and smell. All of that was created by his word and the same God that spoke that out of nothing speaks this word about you. That if you've trusted Christ for salvation, you are his child. God's word is a better word than what our culture says about you, better word than what our bank account says about you, than what your friends say about you. It's a better word than what your families say about you, what your failures say about you, what your success says about you, even what you might say about you. Because God's word is true. He calls you his child. So whether or not you're a middle schooler trying to figure out where you fit in, right? I went through that stage. You're a high schooler testing the limits of the freedom that you've been given. Maybe you're a college student trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with your life. You're early in your career and you just don't know how you're going to get ahead. Maybe you're a mom and you're just overwhelmed by mom. Right? You read those mom's blogs and you're like, how do they write those blogs? If you're a blogger, forgive me. (laughs) How do you write that blog? like laundry piling up and stuff. Maybe you're just overwhelmed with it. Maybe you're a dad and you just don't feel like you measure up. God's word says something different. It's not about where you fit in. It's not about the clothes that you wear. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about how overwhelmed you are, how cool and calm. It's not about about all of the things that we want to make it about. What it's about is what he says about you and he says that you're his child. And that is who you are. Starts with a, a posture of trusting Christ and remaining in that, in that relationship. And it moves to this position that we've been given in Christ. And that position affects, it's important who we are because it changes our pursuits. What we're after. If you look again, verse 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. July of 2003, uh, I was working on, or 2003, July, I was working on staff in, uh, at a camp just north of here. Um, in a little town, a town a lot, a lot like Nashville called Aurora, Kentucky. Um, it's not like Nashville at all. It's about this big. Um, 
The camp was an awesome spot, uh, and, and actually so, somebody worked on staff here. I, can't, I don't know if she's here this morning, but somebody worked on staff at, at Crossings there. And uh, so I, I was a, a summer staffer at Crossings, and uh, it was the end of the summer. We had like two weeks left, and um, I, my plan was to finish up the summer. I was going to go back home to Baton Rouge. I got a, I got a job at a restaurant. I'm going to go finish seminary. I'm gonna do, life is normal, right? We're going to finish this up, and it was good. And then she got off the bus. And she was a chaperone, chaperone, say that with me, chaperone with the church. We need to make sure we get that, right? She was a chaperone, chaperone. Old enough to be with the, she's college. Okay, got that down. Y'all be walking out here, what did he date a girl? No. And she had blonde hair, this smile, and I was done. I was supposed to lead Bible studies. I think I talked about her in Bible studies all week long with the students. Hey, nothing about Jesus that week. I think I got paid, but I should not have. (laughs) And I can tell you that honestly, from the very first time I spoke to her, I can tell you this, that everything in my life changed. Oh, right. My pursuits were different. The way I spent my money, the way I spent my time, what I was going to do, like no longer was good. It wasn't good enough to go back and get a a job at a restaurant and just sustain life so I could go to seminary. No, I had to get a full-time job because I needed to make that woman my wife. My friends were like, you're driving 10 hours for a girl. I'm like, you ain't ain't met that girl yet, dude. (laughs) Yeah, I'm driving 10 hours. And I'm talking a year and two months later, ring on the finger, we are done. Knew what I wanted, right? Couldn't let her get away is really what it is. What I pursued was different because, of, because I met her. And listen, the, the, because our position has changed, because we're the children of God, our pursuits are different. We look different. It's, it, that's what John has done. He's addressed this throughout the letter. What we've talked about in the past couple of weeks is, is this, our, the way that we live is important. He's used it kind of as a check of your faith. And, and do you have a relationship with Christ? And, and the way you're living matters in the relationship with Christ. The Christians, we don't walk in darkness. We walk in the light. But as Christians, we don't believe every passing doctrine. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't just walk in, in doing whatever the world says is, is right. We walk in a different way. We pursue different things. And John says here, he's calling the believers to an upright life based on their new position as a result of their posture. He says, they purify, he purifies himself just as he is pure. He takes us back through that journey. This is not you doing good things so that God loves you. No, God loved you so we live this way. It's not earning God's favor. It's we've been given God's great favor through the cross of Christ and now we live a different life. Our pursuits are different in order to please him but not so that he loves us more because he's loved us completely already. He gives us this example to to walk like Christ, to live a holy life, to purify ourselves, to work towards walking in holiness. In the same example that Christ gives. John, one one author, as I was preparing, says it this way, and I think it just really does a good job. says that Christ is holy, and the pursuit of holiness is therefore what marks everyone who has been born of Christ. So if you know Christ, 
then you know who he really is and you know that he is holy and that there's no unclean thing found in him, that, that he's perfect, that he's the only perfect example of a human that has ever lived and will ever live, that he is righteous. All of those words that describe God's holiness and perfection and, and purity. And if we know him, then we know that he is those things and we pursue life that looks like his. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that we've been born, that we've been born again into to this holiness, that we, were di- we died and were raised again with Christ. It's the language of baptism. You know, when, when we, we put them under the water and we hold them there for a second. You're really baptized now. And then you come back up. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm cynical. That buried with Christ in death and raised to walk in newness of life. What's that newness of life other than the pursuit of a life that looks like Christ? Right? To live a holy life, to be raised, to walk a, a different way, a different pursuit. A life that's been changed and looks, is pursuing righteousness. You know, kind of as we close, I want to I give us this just a little bit, just to kind of chew on here. Is what that looks like to walk in righteousness, to pursue righteousness, to purify ourselves just as He is pure, to work towards walking in holiness. It's not work for salvation. It's work because we've been saved, working out our salvation, as it says in, as Paul says. And here's this, just this phrase, to run from sin and run to Righteousness. Students, just the simple, run from sin and run to righteousness. Dads, run from sin, run to righteousness. Moms, run from sin, run to righteousness. And this is the place where I think what, what the type A's in the room, right? Those people, you have lists already, you've made lists about what you're going to write on your list later on, right? You, you want the list. What am I running away from? What am I running to? You've already titled the top of your page, running from, running to. You've got your check marks. You're ready, right? And you're going to hate me in here because I'm not going to give you a list. I'm not going to give you a list of all the things that you need to run away from. There's not an exhaustive list that I can give you. What I'm going to tell you in the simplest form is how do we run from sin and run to righteousness or towards righteousness? It's just this simple. That we have to be people who read and meditate and study and memorize God's word. Pastor Daniel said it last week. I'm saying it again this week. Why? Because God's word is not only good for us to mature and grow in our relationship with God, but it's also good for us to run from sin and run away from righteousness. <laughs> run from sin and run to righteousness. We open up God's word and we read it and we study it and we memorize it and we meditate on it and we read it and we study it and we meditate on it and we memorize it. Because listen to what scripture says. How can a young man keep his way pure but by keeping your word? I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we, we open up his word so that we know the way to walk. It says that it's a light to our path. I can run from sin and run to righteousness by reading and studying and meditating 
and memorizing God's word, hiding it in my heart that I might not sin against God. Listen to what the psalmist says in in chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. God's word makes us wise to run from and to run to. The precepts of the Lord are right, making glad the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold, than the abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there's abundant reward. God's word As we read it and we study it and we hear it preached and we memorize it and we meditate on it, God's word moves us towards pursuing righteousness, walking in holiness, running away from sin and running to righteousness. I've been in a season personally in my own life where where reading through scripture as a whole has has been a, a steady track for me and just praise the Lord for this super ADD guy who who has been able to read through the scripture for a number of times, but really over the past little bit, past three or four months, I've been reading through the Proverbs. Just every month, you know, it's that easy, read the day of the, day of the week, or day of the month, golly, can't speak. And I can't tell you how exciting it is and how, how incredible it is when, when you're reading these Proverbs. And I know sometimes they can be weird to understand, but, but ultimately to, to hear God point out sin in my life. Hey, T, there's your pride right there. Hey, watch how you're walking in that pride. Watch this foolishness. Watch how you spoke to this person just by reading God's word as, he, as I'm reading it and, and warning against the deceptiveness and the deceptive nature and the destructive nature of, of, of sexual sin. Over and over, he, he points us to these things that we run from sin and run to righteousness. And you hear wisdom's call throughout the Proverbs to come and to gain wisdom so that we can run from sin and run to righteousness. You think that I'm going to wear that out, but I'm not because it's the pursuit of those who have found a new position in Christ and who abide in Christ. We live lives in pursuit of holiness, running away from sin and running to righteousness. And when we see moments when there, it certainly doesn't mean that we'll, we will never sin. That's not what Scripture says. As you read down past this, John is certainly not arguing that, that you'll never sin again. But when we do sin, when we do find, our, find ourselves, our lives not matching up with God's word and, his, and the way that he's called us to live, that we find in his word this, that we can confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive us of our unrighteousness and faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. 